Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. In just a moment, I'm going to read from John chapter 19. Um, this has been quite a heavy week for our church family. I've got to tell you, a lot of things have happened. I can't, I've been a pastor since 1983, and I can't remember a week that's had uh, more tragic events uh, like this one in it. Um, this week, uh, Miss Betty Burrell, who's a longtime member of our church, uh, Franny Petrello's mother, passed away. And then uh, Carol Creel's mother, Ruth Barnes, uh, passed away. And so uh, they both had to uh, bury their mothers. A longtime and very colorful member of our church, uh, Johnny Hamlet, who is in his 90s, passed away earlier this week. His funeral will be this coming Saturday here at the church at 11 o'clock. Many of you know Irv Carter, who is the, this year's chairman of our deacon body. His father in Florida passed away, Irv Carter Sr., and uh, his service, memorial service, will be uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, Dr. James Griffith, who for years was the executive director of the Georgia Baptist Convention, he and his wife Mimi uh, had retired and lived out here at Baptist Manor. He passed away of a stroke this week, and his Service will be tomorrow. A lot of our folks were greatly impacted by Dr. Griffith. He was a towering leader in uh, Georgia Baptist life for decades. Uh, Beth Collinsworth will spend this Mother's Day. Her son, Nate, is leaving uh, today for a tour of duty in South Korea. And so... Uh, we, our heart goes out to uh, that family. Gwen Brightman's mom is in the hospital. Had to admit her yesterday to the emergency room. Uh, Daryl Burge's father is in the uh, hospital uh, not doing well at all. So all those things were happening uh, this week that, that directly touched our church family. Judy Long, who is, has been our office manager and secretary for 10 years, turned in a letter of resignation uh, she, her last day will, with us will be May the 31st. She and Everett are moving to Monroe to be closer to their daughter. And, uh, you know, I, I've been a pastor a long time. Uh, she is the, she's the best uh, secretary office manager I've worked with. Uh, uh, she kept us straight, kept the office going. She's a little stiff sometimes, but she was really, really a great lady and, uh, she will be missed, I'm telling you. She'll be missed. Yeah. She will really be missed. Um, and those were the major things that happened this week. Uh, at the Orr household, on top of praying for all of those families, uh, Hillary's cat Herman died. Cat weighed 26 pounds. She'd had Herman for 11 years, picked him up on the side of the road 11 years ago. He was anorexic when she picked him up. He was not anorexic when he died. He was 26 pounds. And uh, she has cried and cried and cried. Um, So 
It's been kind of a traumatic round of stuff at the Orr household. And then uh, uh, she and her, her, her boyfriend broke up. <laughs> I mean, uh, <clears throat> so, um, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. But, uh, so it's been, you know, it's been hard. It's been really hard. It's been hard. I know, I know. Emily Sims was in the first service. She and Chris Parker sang in the first service, and they were sitting right over here. And after I got through saying that, I sat down, and Emily said, If you were my dad, I would kill you. I would kill you. Well, it's Mother's Day, and I do want to wish a happy Mother's Day to you ladies. We appreciate you so very much. Um, I have been told that an ounce of mother is better than a pound of clergy. Is that right? An ounce of mother is better than a pound of clergy? I kind of have mixed emotions about that, but I can't deny the accuracy of it. Robert Fulgham uh, is an author who was also a pastor, and he's written several books. In 1989, he wrote a book that was entitled, It Was on Fire When I Lay Down on It. Uh, only a pastor could write a book with a title like that. It was on fire when I laid down on it. And in that book, he talks about being a pastor preaching on Mother's Day. And here's what he says. He says, for 25 years of my life, the second Sunday in May was trouble. Being the minister of a church, I was obliged in some way to address the subject of Mother's Day. It could not be avoided. I tried that one time. It didn't work, he said. Mind you, the congregation was quite open-minded, actually, and gave me free reign in the pulpit. But when it came to the second Sunday in May, the expectations were summarized in these words of one of the more outspoken women in the church. Quote, Preacher, I'm bringing my mother to church on Mother's Day. You can talk about anything you want, but it had better include mother. And it had better be good. It's difficult. Holidays are, well, I say they're difficult. My own personal experience as a pastor and preacher are, and this this is going to be kind of ironic, I suppose, holidays are the hardest days for me to preach. Uh, Even Easter uh, is hard. Mother's Day, Father's Day, sometimes during Christmas. Those ought to be the easiest days for preachers to preach. For me personally, they're a little more difficult because, I don't know, maybe it's because uh, we think that the expectation is going to be uh, something a little more or maybe a little different. So, I thought today I would read a passage of Scripture that dealt with mothers since it's Mother's Day. And the passage that I've chosen comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Uh, Jesus is on the cross. He's dying. And while he's on the cross, he makes a statement, gave some instructions that had to do with his mother. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple... Here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Just three verses. Three wonderful, 
powerful and rich verses. In these three verses, John takes us to the foot of the cross where he depicts Jesus on the cross and he makes us privy to just a little bit of the conversation that took place in that most intimate moment in the history of the universe. Conversation at the cross. You already know that uh, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Jesus is said to have made seven statements from the cross. Now, he may have made more than seven, but the gospel writers record seven statements that Jesus made while he was hanging on the cross, while he was dying on the cross. And here they are. The first one comes from Luke chapter 23. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Isn't that an amazing statement? We would expect it from Jesus. He is the forgiver. He is the mercy person. Uh, He's in the mercy hall of fame, isn't he? The striking thing about this statement is that uh, he forgives people, the soldiers and the Jewish people who uh, ordered him to be crucified. He forgives them even though they don't ask for his forgiveness. Isn't that the hardest thing to do when it comes to forgiving somebody? Is forgiving those who do not apologize to us. Yeah. Forgive them, for they do not know what to do. The second one, truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. This also comes from Luke chapter 23. You remember it. Jesus is hanging on the center cross. On either side of him, there are thieves that are being executed for their crimes. One of the thieves continues to mock Jesus. The other thief starts out mocking Jesus, but his mockery turns into repentance. And he only asks Jesus. He doesn't say, Lord, save me. He, sa- he doesn't say, Lord, I, 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 I turn to you. He just simply says, Lord, will you remember me when you get into your kingdom? That's all he said. And Jesus said to him, I'm going to tell you something. Today, this very day, you will be with me. It's an amazing statement. It is the, the biblical version of a deathbed conversion which is kind of good and kind of bad. It's kind of good because uh, if, if you have a loved one who has rejected Christ all their lives and then finally, near death, they, they turn to Christ, it is possible for that to happen. But it's also bad because there's some people who say, well, if it happened for that thief, it can happen to me. i got all the time in the world. I wouldn't guarantee that. I wouldn't recommend this version. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The third one comes from Mark chapter 27 and also Mark cha- I mean Matthew chapter 27 and Mark chapter 15. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Boy, is that not a shocking question coming from the mouth of Jesus? It's actually a quote. He's quoting scripture there. The scripture is Psalm 22, verse 1. Actually, the first half of verse 1. Psalm 22, 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face from hearing me? Why are you so far from hearing me and the voice of my roaring? Jesus quotes the first half of the verse, Psalm 22. Isn't it amazing? Our Lord, when he was on the cross, felt as though his heavenly Father had abandoned him. You ever felt that way? More of you have than admit it. 
Number four, I thirst. He got thirsty. The human side of Jesus, you remember, he's 100% God and 100% human. And the human side of him on the cross got thirsty. They gave him vinegar. (laughs) It is finished, John chapter 19. Here Jesus declared in the time of his crucifixion that his work to secure our redemption, his dying as a sacrifice for us was completed. Now, his total work was not complete because he'd need to be resurrected from the dead to show that he could deliver us from death as well as our sin. But his work of redemption is completed right here. It is finished. And then Luke chapter 23 Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And after he said that, Luke records that he gave up the ghost. He died. The thing that strikes me about that statement is that here Jesus is, looks like he's not in control, and yet he was not only in control of what was happening, but he was so in control that he's the one who determined his last breath, when it would be taken. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then, statement number seven, which normally is uh, listed as number two chronologically by most Bible teachers, but I'm listing it last because this is the one I want to focus on. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Here is your son. Son, here is your mother. Of those seven statements, there are two that I think are really, really strange. I mean, when I hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they do not want to know what they do, that sounds like Jesus to me. So that really, I don't even give that a second thought. When Jesus says, I thirst, well, naturally he would be thirsty. When Jesus says to the thief to his side, today you'll be with me in paradise, that doesn't surprise me because Jesus, that's just Jesus. He saves people. That's what he loved to do. But two statements that I find really strange, one of them is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever remember the first time you read Jesus saying that? Did anybody kind of hiccup a little bit and go back and read that one again? Did that not sound strange that Jesus, God's Son, would be saying to God, the Heavenly Father, why have you forsaken me? How can that be? So that seems strange to me. And then this statement, woman, here is your son, son, here is your mother, is is striking to me. Uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting that this isn't the kind of statement Jesus would make. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, consider this. Jesus is on the cross. This is the most intense moment in the history of the universe. This, what he's doing on the cross at that very moment is the most universe impacting event that has ever occurred. Our salvation, the salvation of everyone who is saved, hinges upon what Jesus does on that cross. And yet, in this most traumatic and tragic and omnisignificant moment, Jesus pauses to take care of some business that Though significant for most any of us, taking care of your parents, by contrast, is so insignificant. Uh, Please don't hear me saying it's not significant to take care of your mom or your dad. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that in contrast to what Jesus was doing on the cross, nothing, nothing 
came close to this, the impact of what he was doing on the cross for us. And yet he takes the time to stop and give instructions for the proper care of his mother. That's exactly what he does. It's amazing. It's an amazing passage. Three verses. There are some interesting things that I'd like to observe about this, what happens at this scene. First, it's, it's interesting to me who is present there. Now, this story says that Mary, Jesus' mother, is there. Can you imagine? I think it's impossible to imagine how she must have felt. Here she is. She knows that some 30-some-odd years earlier, she miraculously gave birth to this guy, and the majority of people have not believed him. The majority of people wanted him dead. They've succeeded in having him hanged on the cross. And she is there, helpless to do anything about it. She's there. Jesus' mother. The sister of Jesus' mother is there. Now, the way I read this passage, uh, I believe that this, this aunt of Jesus is unnamed. Now, you also will find that there is a Mary, the wife of Clopas, who is also there. And some people read this passage to mean that the wife of, of Mary, Jesus' mother, or the sister of Jesus' mother, is also Mary, wife of Clopas. I find that difficult simply because why would parents name two girls the same name? I, I, I don't really, uh, that seems strange to me. That may be what they did. But I think what we have here is Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's the first person there. The sister of Jesus' mother, unnamed. That's the second person there. She'd be Jesus' aunt. Mary, the wife of Clopas, was there. And then Mary Magdalene, probably the most misunderstood person from the New Testament to this day. She has had a lot of different titles hung on to her, attached to her for a long time. Because one of the popes said so, uh, she was listed as a prostitute. Nowhere in the Gospels is Mary Magdalene listed as a prostitute. Nowhere. Uh, it does say that, that, she would, that Jesus at one time cast out seven demons from Mary Magdalene. Biggest thing I think that the Gospels tell us about Mary Magdalene is that, that she was with Jesus a lot of the time. Not as a girlfriend, as the Da Vinci Code suggests, but as a follower who was serious about following him. In fact, at this most crucial point in his life, when so many people who should have been important to his life were not there, she was there. Mary Magdalene. You talk about a friend who sticks closer than a brother? Mary from Magdala. Yeah. And then, there was this person called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Some translations call it the beloved disciple. In this gospel, the gospel of John, this person is never named. Other disciples are named, but this person is never named. Many Bible teachers believe that this person is John, the brother of James, the son of Zebedee, who is also the writer of the gospel of uh, John, where we're reading here. So you have the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's interesting who was present. It's also interesting who was absent from the cross on that day. For instance, um, Jesus, I mean, Joseph, the uh, husband of Mary, not there. Did you notice that? She's not there. The gospel writers don't tell us what happened to him. He's not there. Um, something happened to Joseph long before this time. 
This is John chapter 19. Way back in John chapter 2, Jesus shows up at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and we're told that, that the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus' disciples were there, but Joseph is not there. I mean, you know, something had happened to Joseph prior to then, unless, unless he started the tradition of guys not liking going to weddings. Maybe that was what it was. Maybe that was what it was. Maybe that's what started it right there is Joseph laid out that tradition. I don't know. More than likely, he's dead. It's interesting who is not present. Joseph, the husband of Mary, is not there. Jesus' uh, brothers and sisters are not there. Now, folks, I don't know. That's interesting to me. There is trouble in the household of Joseph. That's what that says. Jesus had four half-brothers. The Gospels named them. And he had at least two half-sisters. The Gospels do not name them, but they do say that he had sisters, which means more than one, at least two. So he had, a, he had four half-brothers, at least two half-sisters, and none of them are present on this, the most tragic and crucial day of Jesus' life. What do you make of that? Well, maybe they were on vacation somewhere and they couldn't make it back in time. I don't know, maybe. Maybe they had to work. Some folks just can't get off. I don't know. I don't know. I think there's trouble in River City is what I think happened there. I think there's trouble in the household of Joseph. That's what I think. So Jesus' brothers and sisters are not there. Here's something. The rest of the disciples are not there. Only this beloved disciple is present at the cross scene. All the rest of them are not there. Now, we do know that sometime during this time, Peter had snuck up outside where Jesus was being judged and tried and he warmed his hands with a fire you know we know about that but by the time Jesus is on the cross the only disciple who is there is this beloved disciple now this scene is also interesting for what it tells us without really telling us now that's one of the things I love about the Bible you read the Bible and it directly tells us some things but the delightful thing about scripture is between the lines There are things that Scripture tells us without actually telling us. For instance, uh, Joseph, Mary's husband, is apparently no longer living. The the Gospels don't tell us that, but it seems pretty clear that that is probably what we have. Jesus' mother is the only family member present at the cross, at least the only one in the household. Jesus' brothers and sisters are not there. None of his siblings were present when Jesus was being crucified. Jesus' aunt was there. That's interesting, isn't it? His aunt was there. Not only are Jesus' siblings absent from the cross, but evidently, from the perspective of Jesus, neither his siblings nor his aunt were capable of properly taking care of his mother. In Jewish culture, it was the role of the oldest son to make sure that the mother was taken care of because usually the father would pass away first. Usually, not always. And the oldest son would be given a double portion of the estate so that he could take care of the remaining parent, which was usually the mother. So Jesus, this being the oldest, this role would fall upon him 
It was his responsibility to take care of his mother. And normally when the oldest son is dying, he will make sure that the next oldest sibling, usually a son, is given the care of their mother. But not not here, not here. Jesus does not entrust his mother to any of his brothers or his sisters, nor does he entrust his mother to the care of her sister, Jesus' aunt, who was there with her. Isn't that interesting? I think it's interesting. We're not told why. We're just told matter-of-factly, they are not the ones, family members are not the ones he entrusted her with. And so, Jesus entrusts his mother to the care of this unnamed disciple who carries throughout this gospel this one tag. Jesus loved him. There's something else that's interesting, I think, in this passage, and that is what Jesus refers to his mother as. Woman. Woman, here is your son. Woman, here is your son. It's kind of brash, I think. I mean, I would have expected Jesus, as tender as he always was, to say, Mom, I want you to go home with John. Mom, John's going to take care of you. Or mother, John. John, mother, wouldn't you? He says, woman. A lot of people have a problem with that. I have a problem with that, honestly. And so some translators have tried to water it down and soften it up a little bit. They said, well, really what he, what he meant to say was, dear woman. Problem with that is the word dear is not there. I love these people who try to put words that are not there, there. This woman. Same thing occurred back in John chapter 2 at that wedding Jesus was there. You know, they ran out of wine. Baptists say it was grape juice. No, it was wine. Ran out of wine at the refreshments, at the reception. And Jesus' mother comes to him and says, says, they've run out of wine. And Jesus said, woman. Do you hear that? Woman, what has that got to do with me? It's not my time. Woman. I don't know. I kind of think Jesus needed a spanking at that point, personally. (laughs) I don't know. You know, I've been aggravated at my mother before, but I never call her woman. It's always mom to me. Mama. Mama. In the most tragic point in Jesus' life, he took care of his mama. Uh, Back in the early 90s, there was a study done in America by a religious organization trying to figure out who was most influential in each individual's faith decisions. And here's what they found. They found that the who or what that had the most positive influence on religious faith, regardless of age group, regardless of sex or denomination, was, quote, here's the answer most often given, my mother. I realize that won't be the case for everybody, but for most people, when they said, when they were asked, who is the most most influential people person in my life with regard to my religious faith, they're going to say, my mom. 
You see, when it comes to family, and I think this is what Jesus says to us here on the cross, when it comes to family, especially when it comes to mom and dad, you do what you can, when you can, with what you can. You do what you can, when you can, with what you can. And Jesus, at the time of his most tragic point, took the time to do what was most important. He took care of his mama. Assisted living for the mother of the Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the instruction you give us on every page of your word. I thank you, Lord, for what you did for us on the cross, the most important thing that could ever be done. You did it. You're the only one who could have done it. Without what you did on the cross, we're hopelessly lost. But you also showed us that in doing what is most important, it's also... It's also important to do what is still important, and that is you took care of your mama. And I thank you for that. You loved that woman. In Jesus' name, amen.